Hi, I'm Glenn Harper, CPA and owner of Harper & Company, CPAs Plus, and partner in Sula Consulting. In each episode, my co-host, Julie Smith, Harper & Company's practice manager and partner in Sula Consulting, and I will interview a different guest about their entrepreneurial journey. The podcast features interviews with business owners, aka entrepreneurs, who bring intriguing and entertaining clarity to the entire entrepreneurial journey, giving others confidence to build their business. Our goal is to provide actionable value to you, the entrepreneur, to help you do business or build a business. Every entrepreneur deserves to enjoy the journey. Learning from others offers valuable insight and inspiration. We want to provide insight on the why, the how, the shortcuts, and the value add that many entrepreneurs wish they would have had identified at the onset of their journey. Sit back and enjoy the journey. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Empowering Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Glenn Harper. I'm Julie Smith. Listen, this is a, a later recording today, so I've got a coffee now, so I don't know if I'm on my right time zone or not. How about you? you I start know. Early? Well, mine's almost done, and I'm going to switch to water, so we'll see how uh, this goes. Good girl. Well, we got a great guest today. He's joining us all the way from sunny California, so he's just waking up, um, and here we go. So I gotta, I'd like to introduce you to Chase Berkey, a fellow CPA, brings a tear to my eye, who not only is drinking the Kool-Aid, but has come up with a new flavor for aspiring CPAs to become principals in their own firm. He is the founder and owner of Dark Horse CPAs, a company that puts CPAs in a position to build a book of business that they can scale. He's an obsessed entrepreneur that thrives on helping other abused CPAs find their meaning in life. Thanks, Chase, for being on the show. Thanks, Glenn. That uh, pretty well encapsulates it. I like it. I, I speak from experience of uh, the abuse <laughs> CPA world, so it is truly a thing. Um, we really appreciate you coming on and spending some time. I know you're a busy guy, and uh, we like to I like to stalk our guests from obscure facts and such, and you've got a lot of controversial stuff out there. So I'm really, <laughs> I have a lot of content to pull from, but I'm going to pull up a couple things that I read it on the internet, so I think it's true, but uh, rumor has it that you grew up from um, Salem, Oregon, which is where the Stephen King book Salem's Lot was really based on before it switched to Maine. Is that true? That is true. Hopefully not one of the uh, controversial topics. No, no, yes. that was, that's an easy one. <laughs> What's uh, uh, And I think Salem's between Port, Portland and Eugene. So are, are you really from the, the real Salem or West Salem? Uh, the real Salem, uh, South Salem specifically. Okay, good. Uh, and... You know, in terms of small world connections, uh, one of our principals, who's uh, based out of the Portland area, uh, actually went to South Salem and graduated uh, two years after I did. So, it's funny because we've got a uh, there's a where I grew up in Ohio. There's a town called West Salem, and so it was kind of funny when I pulled up your Google thing and like you got all these different Salem's. So I thought, well, I wonder where he's really from because you don't want to be from the West Side. That's 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 bad. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that though because when I was in high school. Uh, between my freshman year and sophomore year, West Salem High School was actually formed. And so half of our athletic program went over there. So then they instantly became a rival. So uh. <laughs> they took all the talent and took their ball over there. God love them. <laughs> Are you, I, like uh, to think we, we kept the best, but yeah. <laughs> were you an athlete in high school? I was, yeah. I played baseball and basketball. Um, and I actually got down to San Diego uh, because of baseball. So uh, during a December that was pretty gloomy and rainy uh, in the Pacific Northwest, I went down to San Diego to try out there, 85 degrees because they had San Ana winds, uh, and I was on a baseball field that was overlooking the Pacific Ocean off a cliff, and I was like, yeah, I think I can do that. So that's what made you leave. We're always curious yep. on how you would ever want to leave such a great hometown. I've been to, to Oregon a couple times, and it's it's awesome, but it's, uh, it's a lonely place. There's not a lot going on. <laughs> 
I don't know if I'd say that. I I would say it's difficult from a weather standpoint. If you're in the Willamette Valley, uh, you know, it's just you got to be uh, someone who's not, you know, affected by seasonal affective disorder or the, that sort of thing, because uh, definitely gloomy, definitely rainy, but it's beautiful. Um, I think there's a lot going on. There wasn't a lot going on in Salem, but definitely a lot going on in Portland and Eugene. Um, and actually, you know, more recently, uh, I rediscovered the Oregon coast. And so uh, my wife and I actually just bought a property over there uh, to, you know, be able to utilize that and experience it, um, you know, in a town called Pacific City, which is a place I went to a number of times growing up. So a bit of nostalgia for me and a little full circle. Is that near Bandon Dunes? No, no, so Ban- uh, that's Bannon's in Southern Oregon. So that's probably about a five-ish hour drive from Pacific City. Oh, wow. Well, You're don't on. don't let him fool you with his Oregon experience. All he does is go out there and golf. And just fish. Like, <laughs> like he just referred to, you know, Bannon Dunes. That's how he's getting his sense of geography in regards was, to where you are is golf. Well, if Glenn is able to get these tea times at Bannon Dunes, he knows some people. So uh, I got high friends in places. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, the Bend River was a, a very desolate spot. No cell service, camped out. It was a great fly fishing experience, and I really enjoyed it. So I, I've got positive experiences. I, I missed out on all the riots. I, I wasn't there at the wrong time. If I had planned better, I could have got into that. But, I, you know, it happens. Sometimes you miss. Um, and the other, you know, it looks like you enjoyed school at Point Loma Nazarene University in sunny San Diego, where you received your BS in accounting. And how rewarding was that to know that your whole life was going to be an auditor in a big four firm? Did that, was that just like a great experience or what? Oh yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, quite the contrary, uh, but still a meaningful, um, you know, time in my life. Uh, so I graduated right around the peak of the great recession. And so I had friends that had graduated the year before they were trying to get jobs at Chili's and, you know, other spots and, you know, just couldn't get a job. Right. And so a lot of them were scraping by or moving back with their parents. And I was just like, I'm not going to do that. Accounting is actually going to give me, you know, a job. Uh, I didn't know what audit was going to be like, to be perfectly honest, Uh, you know, taking the courses uh, in college and studied for the CPA exam, the audit section, but, you know, what the job actually was versus, you know, the academia aspect of it, it was just two totally different worlds. It's worser. Uh, it's, it's worser. Well, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, especially in the big four, all of your time is really dedicated to that job. And when it's a job you don't love, you know, that that's a tough proposition to spend most of your waking hours doing something that, um, you know, you don't like. And for me, it was something I didn't really like. Um, but on the same hand, it was a really great experience for growth because you're instantly put in the seat where you're talking to CFOs, controllers, and as a dumb 22 year old kid, you know, questioning their work essentially, which uh, is the best <laughs> figuring out how to do that tactfully and, you know, ask questions that, uh, are, sound as intelligent as possible, even when you don't really know exactly what you're going after and, uh, you know, the, the surrounding context. So, I mean, there's just a ton of learning I got, you know, in those two years and two months of that Deloitte. Um, but it was clear to me pretty early on that this was uh, a stepping stone and I needed to be ready for what was next and not get stuck. So that was really my, my main focus. 
It uh, it said there on the internet that you uh, had rented out uh, Viper's house from Top Gun on Point Loma. Is that true? Were you was that the party place? <laughs> um, I I don't know who wrote that because that's that sounds like a <laughs> it was a cool house like a legend. It yeah, was a cool, it was a cool house. Yeah, Point Loma is just gorgeous. Did you when you were in school there? Did you stay on campus? You have to get an apartment. You know how did that look? Because that's way different than middle of Oregon. Yeah. So, um, I was on campus for the first two years and then off for this last two years. So, uh, I was in La Playa my junior year, which is that uh, area I ran along the bay, uh, on the other side of Point Loma. Um, and then senior year was, uh, kind of a, off the midway district area. So, um, it, it was definitely a different experience being on campus versus off in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know how much you know about Point Loma, but they've got some pretty strict rules. Oh boy! You know, so there was there was no drinking. There was, uh, you know, women could come over for uh, three hours on two specific days of the week. Door had to be open, feet on the floor, all that sort of stuff. So um, it's like an Amish community, know. really. Um. <laughs> I, I mean, you said it, uh, it, <laughs> it. It was definitely less freedom than I had uh, growing up in my parents' home. Were you <laughs> Were you playing baseball in college then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so you have to do it all I through. played my played my freshman year, um, and then sophomore year, heading into the season, you know, I really just kind of I got burnt out uh, and lost my love for the game, uh, which, you know, was a culmination not just of you know playing um, you know in college, but everything I put in high school up to that point. I mean, I really had about two years where I never stopped playing, um, and so it got to a point where I was just like you know, I'm putting a lot into this and what's, what am I trying to achieve here? You know, cause sure I could get drafted in a low round and, you know, chase that dream for a couple of years and, you know, obviously not make it to the major leagues. Cause that's, you know, the numbers are stacked against you in a lot of ways there. Um, and I didn't want to be mid to late twenties and, you know, just starting my career at that point. So, and I also, on the other hand, wanted to enjoy my college experience, uh, you know, and not just be, so myopic in terms of sports and, you know, studies and have no time for anything else. So got to the point where, you know, it was time to make time to make a move. And, you know, I, I think that that was somewhat a theme in my life in my 20s was, you know, going hard in the paint in whatever area I was in, uh, you know, and then getting to a place of burnout and needing to do something else, you know, because uh, I just you know, got myself so deep into, um, certain, uh, pursuits that, you know, I had to, um, had to find my way through it. And so my twenties really were a pretty tough time to be honest, but it's what really propelled me into entrepreneurship. Um, I never looked at myself as an entrepreneur. Um, and you know, there's an entrepreneurship class in uh, college that, uh, just scared me to be honest, you know, uh, it just, all these different disciplines that I felt like I just didn't know and just didn't feel cut out for it. Right. And it wasn't until I kind of got forced into being an entrepreneur that I started to discover, like, this is actually what resonates with me. And this is what gives me life. And, you know, it, it's really what I was built to do, uh, which was a bit of a revelation because it was just the opposite of how I viewed myself for so many years. What's well, funny, you show all the entrepreneurial tendencies and you didn't even know it. Um, back then, you, you didn't come out of the closet till it was too late and, and never it's never too late. And it's funny that, you know, uh, the 
accounting space, CPA space, you know, very stereotypical. And I think if I looked up in an encyclopedia, looked up at your picture, you would not look like the typical CPA. And it was funny because I kind of felt the same when I was growing up. I had a nice good mullet going and, and I wasn't- I And didn't a want pocket protector. Yeah, protect well, them. no, I, I kept that in, in, the, in the office only. I was very, very good about that. But it's funny how you think about- um, you're trying to change something, but you, they're never going to change, right? And and for you to not only be in the industry and like, I think this is going to work, and then you kind of get out and then you're doing your whole entrepreneurial gig, I'm helping other CPAs. Like, you know how hard it is to change CPAs, but yet here you are still doing it. But because you did it, I feel like you've got a great leg to stand on where people will resonate and listen to you, right? Is that is that kind of how it resonated for you? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I've seen... Uh, you know, I've had experiences kind of on the spectrum of public accounting. So I know what, you know, it's like to be in a big four. I know what it's like to be, you know, in a small, you know, regional boutique sort of firm, and then to start something from scratch on my own. Uh, and there's pluses and minuses kind of on all sides. Uh, but I think for a lot of folks, you know, it, it's the minuses that, you know, eventually get to a place where they leave public accounting, right? And they go, mm -hmm work, you know, for a private company or maybe get out of accounting, you know, uh, in total. So, uh, you know, the experiences that I had really informed what Dark Horse became. Um, and it was really catalyzed by, you know, starting uh, what became Dark Horse. It was called Accounts Years at the time. Um, you know, that journey of starting from something from scratch was just so empowering for me. Um, you know, I, I think it was probably more personal growth than even professional growth. Uh, you know, just the idea that I could be the author of my own story and, you know, uh, you know, have a level of autonomy that, you know, was something I never had before. Uh, and, you know, just that level of agency in life is so refreshing, you know, um, that, uh, you know, that's really what I wanted to replicate for others within dark horse um, but on the other side you know i was so tunnel visioned again with you know uh that part of my life that actually you know i almost lost my marriage uh, my wife and i got were separated for a couple of months um, and really as a result of me just being emotionally and physically unavailable while i was you know building this firm so you know the idea was really you know, how do we give folks the positive side of that experience of, you know, building a practice of building a lifestyle of, you know, just really designing their, their life uh, without, you know, the risk of ruin when it comes to relationships. Because uh, a lot of folks, you know, that uh, are starting a firm are going to be, you know, that phase where they either have a young family or about to start a young family. And, you know, having to spend all of that time, money, energy, and resources into building something from scratch uh, definitely has a cost that, um, you know, doesn't always make itself known until later on. Um, so we really designed this accelerator program we have, uh, you know, in a way that, yes, it's a lot of work, but it's uh, substantially less work, you know, than it would be to go out and do it on your own in a much shorter time frame to, to stabilize. Yeah, it's kind of like what you end up doing is, uh, you know, accounts that start off their practice, they they don't know how to be an entrepreneur. They just know how to do work. And if you're going to be good as an accountant, for whatever reason, we care too much and we overcommit daily to our clients and we sacrifice everything else for that. 
which is no different than the other entrepreneur. It just so happens that you happen to know this space. And that leads me to the question of, you know, most entrepreneurs, well, a lot, you know, they know from the very beginning, listen, I'm, I'm hustling ice cream bars or papers or mowing lawns. I'm going to be an entrepreneur and other people, they just stumble into it. Did you have something, you know, traumatic in your childhood that showed you what an entrepreneur window looked like, or did you just happen to stumble into this thing? I stumbled into it. Um, I mean, I definitely did some entrepreneurial stuff as a kid, even though I didn't realize it. Arbitraging, you know, different bidding sites, um, you know, so you bid at the time and then selling it on eBay. Um, you know, so I was always trying to make a buck, you know, in creative ways because playing sports, I didn't have the you know extended period of time to have a job, you know, that um, would recur. So I found other ways to <laughs> make my own money. Um, so, you know, in retrospect, that was maybe kind of the seeds that I didn't realize. I didn't look at that as you know, entrepreneurism. I looked at that as just, you know, trying to make a buck, right? Um, so anyways, um, I, I didn't really see it modeled for me, um, you know, in any tangible way growing up, um, which is maybe why I thought, you know, that was a different world that wasn't something that I was built for. Uh, but uh, stumbling into entrepreneurism, I don't think resonates, um, as much as getting pushed into it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, um, you know, in a, a, a partnership that, um, dissolved pretty quickly and, you know, it was more just about, okay, all I need to do right now is focus on serving clients. Cause this was during extension season. So, you know, making sure these people got, the returns filed, you know, and I was able to pay some bills and just I'd figure it out after extension season. And that ended up, you know, creating referrals and, you know, just slowly building that book of business, you know, so it was something where it's really just all I was concerned with was, you know, starting something small just to get, you know, the clients that I was serving through tax season, uh, you know, pay some bills and then just see what was going to happen on the other side. And it just as time went on, I was like, actually, I like this, you know, I was doing things that I wasn't doing before and, you know, uh, involved in all aspects of the business versus just a, a silo. And uh, it just really resonated for me in a lot of ways. And so, you know, over time, it just built, you know, and, uh, you know, the thing I would say, though, is that um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs and maybe especially CPAs can uh, attest to it's very easy when you build something and you have that success early on to become a victim of your success, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, you quickly get underwater in terms of the referrals that result from it, you know, and uh, what it actually takes to replicate that at scale, you know, being too late, maybe to build a team, you know, and trying to unwind that. Uh, so a lot of the learnings again, that, you know, I've had, you know, myself and that we've seen, you know, within our firm with our accelerators and principals, we're able to help guide, you know, future and current uh, accelerated principles by, look, these are the things you have to do to avoid this situation because we have so many data points that, you know, that show that out. You know, it's funny, the process, the system you have for CPAs to do this, you probably only have to make, um, making up a number, 10, 15 tweaks, and you can apply that to any different industry out there as an entrepreneur to help them. It, because it's it's really the mindset of how to value what you do and how to price it and how to scale it. It's the same concept. It just happens you, you're really in bed deep with the CPAs because you live the life and you know it. And part of that is, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, 
to be an entrepreneur, you're forced into it. You're just like, I got to do work. I got to pay my bills. And that's happens. But at some point, did, was there anybody that was an entrepreneur that talked to you and said, Hey, you know, Hey, you're on track on something. You should stay with this. Or were you literally like most entrepreneurs are in their own little private Island trying to just figure things out? <laughs> um, maybe a little bit of both, but, uh, the former resonates a bit more. Uh, my father-in-law actually was my first, you know, major client. Uh, and he is an entrepreneur. He's a home builder, uh, Las Vegas. And, um, he also had another, uh, you know, side business, which is the one I was helping him out on. Um, you know, so I got to see how, how he thought about things, how he communicated, how he structured his companies, you know, and, um, just got that behind the scenes look at like, this is what an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur looks like. These are the questions they ask. These are, you know, what they demand, you know, of their, of their people and how they motivate them. Just all these things that, you know, you could read about, but until you see it live in action, you know, uh, it, it, it really just, um, is so informative to watch someone do that and be a part of that. Um, so that was hugely, you know, uh, helpful for me, especially as I was just, trying to learn a ton of things and how to build and lead a team and, you know, just things that, um, you know, I was never directly responsible for, uh, before. So that, that, um, kind of learning by osmosis was hugely impactful for me. So, I mean, you consider him probably a little bit of a mentor too, as you started out, but was there anybody else that was maybe, you know, in the outer circle that kind of grabbed you and could have an opinion that said, you know, hey, keep doing this, or hey, maybe tweak this and do this, that you were able to kind of confide in, you know, I don't want to say like neutrally, but you were able to kind of go to, and they kind of gave you just the honest truth to, you know, it might have impacted you more than you thought. Uh, I put my wife in that category. <laughs> uh, I don't know that she's neutral, no. <laughs> no, she's not neutral. Um, but she definitely, I mean, she was, you know, a driving force for, you know, the change that led uh, to me starting up what became Dark Horse and has always kind of been my biggest cheerleader. But I mean, to be honest, um, because what we built is really its own category, <laughs> most of what I got from the outside was, uh, I don't know, this doesn't seem like it's going to work. Mm -hmm. um, but know, did that motivate a, you more? It, totally. Yeah. It's, I mean, for me, I, I looked at that as, you know, proof positive that no one else was going to try this until I prove the concept, you know, so I had that runway and, uh, also that, you know, if, if it sounded too good to be true sort of thing, you know, which is kind of the feedback I was getting, you know, that was going to be, uh, a great recruiting tool, you know, like we've built something that no one else has, you know, the stones to, to try and, you know, and we're going to do this. Right. So, uh, I would say that, and, you know, Glenn, when you're talking about the, uh, maybe controversial sorts of uh, content I have out there. Really a lot of this, you know, experience from 2019 to today, you know, 2019 is when we pivoted, has been punching up at the incumbent, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, there's just some systemic issues within public accounting that create, you know, the talent shortage that we're in, that create poor employment experiences, that create mental health crises, um, you know, and I don't say that lightly because I've, I've witnessed it, uh, firsthand, secondhand, um, you know, there's, there's a lot we could do, you know, as an industry to just be better. Um, and 
to me, a lot of that stems from just the business model and the incentives. Um, you know, and when you look at a traditional accounting firm, it's a partnership that has a bunch of chiefs, you know, that uh, run their own practices um, and engagements in ways that are not always aligned with, you know, the uh, intended direction of the firm. So you can have a very different experience from one engagement to the next, depending on the partner. Uh, but, you know, the, the way that the business organizes, you know, uh, not how their clients are organized. You know, their clients are typically, you know, more of a, a corporation setup, you know, that has a CEO, you know, a defined leader uh, and not just, you know, a consensus of chiefs. So could go a lot deeper into that, but, you know, where I really found that a lot of the things that are uh, driving accountants out of the industry are stemming from is truly the business model. Um, because when I looked at the folks I worked at, you know, at Deloitte, I loved and, you know, respected a lot of them. Um, few I had maybe a bone of contention with, but, you know, uh, some of my best friends I met there, right? And yet <laughs> the system and the machine, you know, of the big four made, you know, no matter who I was working with, you know, not a great experience. So um, to me, that was a bit of an aha moment that, you know, if you have the best people going into a toxic system, you're not going to get anything better than what the system allows. But yep. do you think your corporate experience has helped you scale your business today? Because I do, I have corporate, you know, background too. And I feel like some, there's pros to right in there, but I think you can take some of those and it helps you to kind of scale and grow a small business in your own way. And so maybe that was the, you know, the why behind that experience. Totally. And like I was talking about before, I mean, there's positives and negatives, you know, from, you know, all of my experiences. Um, and, you know, there's definitely positives, you know, and things you you learn and observe that you don't see in a smaller environment, you know, because there's a higher level of sophistication and regulation and just things that require, um, you know, scalable uh, processes and repeatable processes and HR and all these things, you know, that um, small firms, small businesses, you know, you're just kind of winging, to be honest, uh, you know, so to be able to have, you know, uh, experience on both sides is super important because, um, you know, you got to know what you're going into, right? Um, in terms of when you're small, like what a mature, sophisticated company actually does and looks like. Um, but on the same hand, you know, you've got to be comfortable in the uncomfortable uh, part of that growth where it's like, yeah, we don't have someone leading our HR. We don't have X, Y, or Z, you know, functions within our company that, um, you know, a mature company would have. And we're, we're winging maybe, you know, there's some liability or risk associated with it, but you can't just hire, you know, your full org chart from day one for obvious reasons. You know, it's uh, when I was at the very beginning, when I was talking about the controversial stuff out there, I didn't find it. I was just messing around with you. I was trying to find some great college photos because at the end of the day, there's always going to be haters and there's always going to be somebody attack you. And you just got to stay true to what you believe in because you know what's right and you know, you see the impact. So that, is a is a thing where again we're always being attacked as entrepreneurs just the way it is and you just you get you learn how to deal with that you got a thick skin if you got to fight back you got to fight back but it is what it is and you know if for entrepreneurs out there is i think what's important is that i think you changed something very dramatically in your in your journey you went from i'm working for somebody 
oh my God, I guess I'm running my own firm here, helping clients doing accounting work, which takes a unique skill set to do that. It's not nobody, it's not something anybody else can't learn, but your interaction with your clients is uh, like your thing that you can do very well, right? For your regular accounting clients. But then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I'm tired of just doing business. I think I want to build a business. And then, but for an accountant, that's really hard, right? Because you're now, you've figured out the secret sauce and now you're going to actually share that with others. Like that's, that's heresy. Why would you do that? You get burned at the stake in Salem with that, right? So why would you, what made you decide that, Hey, I now, I know the sauce and I want to help others. Like, and that it's, and it wasn't, I don't think it was for the money per se. Money comes with success, but it became bigger than you, right? How did you, why did you decide to do that? Because the industry needs that help, right? All industries do. What made you decide to share the secret sauce? Yeah. And, you know, that's an interesting question because when I made that decision, um, I would say the recipe was half-baked, you know? Always. But there was, yeah. There were certain things, you know, that uh, I knew I and, you know, the firm did well and, uh, you know, we could absolutely uh, replicate and democratize. Um, And so for me, it was passion. Um, You know, it was really just a recognition that, you know, if I want to do something I'm proud of, you know, when I'm on my deathbed, you know, it's not just going to be growing a firm and making a bunch of money, you know, the way I was doing it. You're telling uh, me it's not tax season deadlines and helping follow. Ret- it's not that or doing auditing. Uh, it's weird. Oddly enough, it's weird. yeah, those aren't the things That's you know weird. that uh, end up. All right, your, uh, whatever you think. Obituary, yeah. So oddly enough, um, but yeah, no, it was really just that recognition that you know this was something that even if it failed, you know, I needed to pursue. It was something that if I didn't do, it would be that thing that like I had this great idea at one point. I never you know went after it. Um, so. And knowing the struggles, you know, intimately, you know, I think was uh, necessary. You couldn't create a business like Dark Horse by just, you know, coming in from the outside. You have to be inside and know the struggles and the problems, you know, of the customer that you're serving. And for us, that customer actually is the accountant, Um, you know, so being intimately aware of, you know, the challenges, you know, that they're facing, which (laughs) are a lot, right? you know, and the other thing too, you know, that was kind of baked into your question is, you know, there's a, a big difference between being a practitioner and being an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of uh, accountants conflate that a bit because they're consulting with entrepreneurs and they, they know, you know, the nuts and bolts of what it takes, but, you know, the soft skills and the things you have to do to truly be successful that are beyond the technical are the most important, you know, building a team motivating them, you know, and getting the best from everyone, um, you know, and creating career paths and, you know, all these sorts of things. It's, that's the softer side of the business, but that's ultimately what matters the most. Um, and, you know, when I'm talking about kind of the, the ills of the partnership model, a big part of that is a partner is practicing, right? So they're spending a majority of their time practicing, you know, in client service areas instead of leading the business instead of truly uh, spending their time developing their people, you know? And so you look at any fortune 500 company and, you know, does Steve jobs actually, you know, sit on the manufacturing line, building the phone? Yes, he does. Absolutely. He's down there (laughs) plugging in things for sure. Right. 
Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's, there was a recognition that, you know, if we really wanted to serve accountants and create a better employment experience, um, you know, we needed to not be so consumed with client service. And that started with me. So that was a really difficult decision to decide to divorce myself of client service. Uh, it started uh, really three and a half, four years ago. Uh, it took about a year and a half to totally get out of it, you know, because you tell folks, you know, but they still want to come back to you for X, Y, or Z. Got to go to therapy. It's a whole thing. I mean, it's, it's brutal. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny as entrepreneurs listen to this again, the, 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 I think the point of this part of the conversation is changing from doing business to building a business. And this is a transition that a lot of entrepreneurs will have to face in their career. Sometimes they don't even know it. And sometimes it just is going to happen. But if, if you truly want to, build something bigger than you, you have to end up building a business. And regardless of that, you could have been real cushy, take your top 50 clients, bill them each, you know, 10,000 a year, make a great living and just exist. But no, you decided let's make it harder. Let's try to convert a bunch of CPAs to drink this Kool-Aid. Like to do that, it's a lot harder than just doing business, right? You, you have to do something more and your calling has to be bigger than it can't be about the money and it can't be about anything other than you want to make a difference. And, and I think that's what you're basically trying to say because you recognize the, the problem in that industry. And again, you can insert any attorneys, financial advisors, vets, you can put any industry in this bucket that we're talking about. It just happens we, we can kibitz on some uh, accounting humor. That's why I'm quiet. I, I have no idea about it. So, yeah. well, you witnessed it. it it's a, it's a real big thing in the silos and and how you you know navigate your your value and and not be abused. It's a real thing. And I guess now, I guess the question is, when you made this change from doing business to building a business, did you already have a team set up that was going to help you execute this, or do you have to start this from scratch? Because you were still this was just a abstract theory out there and you just kind of went with it and then backfilled as you went through it. How did you ma navigate that? So I was by myself for the first nine months, but then my co-founder joined me thereafter, uh, who is someone that I worked closely with at my previous firm. Uh, so other than that nine month period, we've been working together for about 11 years now. Um, and so he's been my right hand man, um, you know, allowed me to, you know, make that initial step back from, uh, client service to be able to build, you know, the, the infrastructure, uh, you know, that we needed, um, you know, to actually serve accountants and to create the accelerator program and, you know, staff, you know, our leadership team and just do all the stuff that needed to happen to make this come to fruition. So for me, what I would say, I would, I mean, I think this is probably true for just about 90% of super successful companies is that you have to have a great leadership team, but it has to start with, you know, one or two people that you're really uh, in lockstep with, you know, that have complementary skill sets, you know, where I was weak, my co-founder Max is strong, you know, vice versa, uh, you know, so we together were able to do something that neither of us could have even scratched the surface on, you know, by ourselves. And, you know, that leadership team has just evolved and, you know, we've got just some really, really, um, amazing folks, you know, that help lead the organization that are so good in their areas and are also so different from each other. It's like, we've got this commonality and this rapport and, you know, um, cohesion, but 
we're all very different people, different personalities, very different skill sets. Um, you know, and I think that that is super helpful because that provides a very comprehensive, um, you know, set of um, services that we can provide for our CPAs, um, as opposed to all being, you know, myopically kind of the same person that's, a, you know, focused in, you know, the technical aspects of accounting or tax. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. I uh, will might do a little bit of accounting humor here, but it is next to impossible to have an accountant, a CPA, empower and trust somebody else to do something. Like we know it all, we can do it everything. And and that is the hardest thing to get out of your own way to do that. And for you, you recognize it pretty early that that had to happen. And so as we talk to, you know, we'll make fun of accounts because they're fun to make fun of, but any entrepreneur has the same issue that they think they have to do it all. And, and not only that, but they think they have to have it all figured out before they make the jump. And here you are, you didn't have it figured out. You made the jump, had a couple people that helped at some point, but you believed in who? Yourself. You believed in your ability to empower others, to bring that value to the table, to help the organization. It became bigger than you. Entrepreneurs out there, please take this into note. This is, this is the secret sauce, right? Yeah. No, I think it's great. I have a question because I think it's it'll make you reflect, I think, on your journey. And we talk a lot about peaks and valleys in that entrepreneurship journey. Can you think of a specific valley that maybe you were in in this journey that really propelled you to a higher peak than you thought? And because we always say the peaks come from the valleys, obviously. Mm -hmm. But is there something somewhere along your journey where like, hey, maybe you thought about throwing in the towel. Maybe you thought about pivoting completely. Just something that maybe defined your journey that really propelled you to that next level. Yeah, I mean, the first valley I would say was uh, when I was working in the big four. Um, I mean, truthfully, I would say that I was depressed um, for the majority of my tenure there, um, which, you know, I don't want to make that sound like that's just a... Um, a result of, you know, working at that firm. I think it's tough to go, you know, transition from, you know, a structured school environment to being an adult and being responsible for yourself and, you know, have to chart your own path through life. You know, I think that there's, that's a tougher adjustment than people maybe, uh, you know, talk about. Um, but I just, again, I really didn't like what I was doing um, at all. And so um, I, you know, I would wake up as late as possible, uh, you know, so that I could really just rest as much as I could not think about, you know, the things that I was not excited about in life and then frantically get to work, <clears throat> come home and drink myself to sleep. And that, that was the reality. That was, that was my headspace when I was working there. Um, so that was, you know, really, it was obvious that I needed to find a next plan. Um, I needed two years because at that time, that's what uh, the licensing requirements were. Get that two years work in public, uh, you know, to get your license. So I knew I needed to at least do two years there. Um, but, you know, kind of heading out of that, I uh, made a decision that was a little bit um, from a not great mental state um, of something that just seemed better and was different you know, and would allow me to make that move out of uh, Deloitte. And then that had its own set of, um, you know, um, I guess, 
a different valley, right? Um, you know, there's parts of it that were much better, but other parts that were much worse. Um, you know, and just to protect, you know, the uh, privacy of everyone, you know, in that situation, I won't go into too much detail there, but it just, it was not a good thing for me, um, which is again, why I feel like I was pushed into entrepreneurship uh, because it was kind of a breaking point, you know, that I needed to go one way or the other. Um, and I really didn't know what was next at that point. Um, and then, you know, the last valley is really just that separation I had from my wife, um, you know, the recognition that I was prioritizing the wrong things, um, you know, and just being uh, out of balance and out of whack um, in, you know, uh, living a balanced life. So uh, I would say that, you know, I would agree with that statement. I, the, the valleys that I've gone through, um, you know, really informed, you know, like this is a place I can't be again. <laughs> and I have to be able to construct something, you know, that um, prevents me from getting back into those sorts of headspaces and situations in life. And then I also want to make sure that I can leverage that for others so that, you know, they're not in situations that I was in that, you know, maybe they're stronger than I was, you know, and didn't um, get to that place mentally. But, you know, uh, my experience tells me my, my own experience, you know, was not uncommon. The conversations I've had with hundreds of CPAs, you know, there's the struggle is real, you know, and um, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, can articulate the problem. And there's not a lot of people that, you know, can really craft a solution to it, you know, and I uh, just got sick and tired of being the one who could articulate the problems. And, you know, this whole endeavor has been how do we create a solution to actually save public accounting from itself? Um, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a ton of work um, building the airplane while we're in flight. It's on the way to roll. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know it's it's, uh, it's your your you know the the first valley you know is probably the your destiny you know that one movie Mister Destiny you choose one choice you're down this path you choose this choice you're over on this path and. You just didn't know you're an entrepreneur. It was in you. You just didn't realize it, which is the craziest thing. When I say crazy, meaning that the door was, you're getting a knock on it, but you just didn't know how to answer that door, right? And the, right. And the only way you open the door is, you, like you said, you were kind of pushed into it. You're like, fine, I'll open the freaking door. And then you're like, wow, this is where it's at. And pow, you're at the, at the peak. And I think as an entrepreneur, it's, it's easy to be frustrated. It's easy to, to not know that you don't, belong in the space that you're in and you know, there's something out there. And, and the premise would be, you can take a chance. You can, you can jump because what's the worst that's going to happen in your case, it turned out pretty darn good, which is amazing. And most of the time uh, we never use the F word, which is the the fail term. You just pivot and do something else. If this wouldn't have worked out, you would have figured something else out. You're not, most people do, especially entrepreneurs, they'll, they'll find that opportunity. Yeah. And I mean, I think what you think your business is when you form it, um, is usually something far different than what it ends up being, you know, because your business plan of what your business is, is going to meet reality and reality is going to dictate whether that actually works or it doesn't. Um, and again, being on the field, you see things that you don't see from the stands, you know, and you, you might have, 
uh, a major pivot like we did, right? Um, as a result of that. But I think the most successful companies, you know, they've had a mission that they've stayed true to, and it just ends up expressing itself in different ways as they evolve and, you know, kind of see where the opportunities are in the marketplace. Yeah. When you're in the pit, it moves way faster than it you think when you're in the stands looking down. You're like, oh, I see this play developing. And when you're in the middle of it, it's, it's, it's light speeds. Um, do you, you know, as an entrepreneur, a lot of times, you know, it's a very scary, very lonely place. Um, again, you navigated some things with your business, with your relationship, with your, with your significant other, and those things all end up turning all okay. But what was like the biggest fear you had as an entrepreneur that you're like, my God, I just, I don't know if I can overcome this. I, th- I'm so scared to do this or, or react to that or what this is going to mean. Did you have something that was just like paralyzing with fear that once you push through it, you're like, this is all downhill from here. This is easy. Yeah. Two things come to mind. Um, at various points, I've been paranoid that someone is going to do what we're doing and do it better. Um, you know, I think that's probably common for uh, any entrepreneur, especially ones that are creating a category. You know, you want to get so far ahead of someone who comes into the space, you know, that um, that you become the Uber and they're the Lyft sort of thing. So I've always been paranoid that, you know, um, I've given out too much of the secret sauce of what we do to someone else that can execute on it uh, and maybe better. But as time has gone on, uh, it's become apparent to me that the idea was maybe five to 10% of it, you know, and execution is everything. And it's uh, very difficult to execute on this business model and to create the flywheel and actually get it in motion. Just when I look back at it, it, um, I almost don't know how we did it in the first place, you know, because it it required so much energy and torque to get that wheel spinning and selling a vision to folks, you know, the earliest accelerators we had, you know, selling a vision of something we had not yet created and getting them to believe that we would get there, um, you know, and and the pressure you feel to make good on, you know, those promises. Um, And I, I think that that's common for any entrepreneur too. It's you're kind of, selling ahead of what you actually, you know, have uh, currently in place, right? Uh, because your product or service isn't fully baked when you start, right? Like you've got to get people on board for what the vision is, you know, and get them to believe that you're the person and you have the team to make that happen. Uh, that's a really tough thing. So when I rationalize it, you know, and think about what it actually took to get here, yes, I'm not unique in being the only person who can do this, but it is so hard that I think the vast majority of people, if they tried, would be like, ah, this is a little more than I bargained for. For me, I think I was able to do it because I had such a deep passion for the mission and you know, was willing to make <laughs> any sacrifices I needed to, to make that happen. Um, but yeah, I would say that, that that's been paralyzing for sure. And the other thing too, uh, you know, is like a bit more existential, I would say, where it's like, if this doesn't work, you know, do I have the energy and resilience to bounce back and move on to the next thing, you know, which is, um, intellectually, I know the answer to that emotionally, maybe not as much like intellectually. I know. Yes, I would. Emotionally. It's like, I put so much of myself into this business and 
it's become so infused with my identity that, you know, if it was to be taken from me, that's a scary thing. But, but as a true entrepreneur, I can drop you off on an island and you'd have a freaking Walmart set up there because <laughs> that's how entrepreneurs think because every day is literally a slugfest. You're in the, and you're in a heavyweight bout at just the way it is. And, and the mental toughness that that takes as an athlete, you already had done through that. You know, you had moved away from home. You were playing baseball. You're, you're at the higher level. You're doing all these things with multi-billion dollar company. I mean, you, when you look back at your, you know, your like real of your life history, you've been always been put in a position where you have to make big decisions that are impacting a lot of people and a lot of money and you nailed it. So like, why wouldn't you continue to do that? So it's kind of funny when you, you say those, those fears or those obstacles. And when you look back, you're like, every time you got challenged, you, you nailed it. So why wouldn't you continue? So those fears are self-founded. We're going to send a bill for the uh, psychological profile here later at the end, but um, no, this is, this is good stuff. Um, Julie, you got a good question. I, I have one last question. And mm -hmm. what is your superpower? I would say I'm the one thing I can hang my hat on is that I'm a really good judge of character. So I might not always be the best judge of talent, depending on, you know, what the skill set or the expertise is, but I know when I'm dealing with a good person and when I'm not, uh, which has been uh, a skill that I've honed, you know, throughout the years. I, I think I, I knew uh, on the positive side, you know, uh, pretty well, you know, if I was dealing with a good person, I didn't, took me a while and <laughs> some uh, hard experiences to realize when I was dealing with a toxic personality, um, you know, because a lot of times it's masked in ways that you don't see until you have that pattern recognition and you, you know, kind of see how things play out. So, uh, you know, some of the tougher experiences I've had in my career has helped develop, you know, that, that eye for, okay, this is a toxic person, or at least not someone, you know, that is of the caliber that, you know, is acceptable for our team. So, yeah, I would, I would just say it's kind of just quickly knowing, am I dealing with a high, you know, integrity, you know, high character sort of person, uh, you know, and I, that's everything because, you know, if, someone has all the technical, you know, capabilities in the world and, you know, can make it rain from a sales perspective and all that, but they're a crappy person, you know, and toxic in the organization, you're, you're, you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. Um, so I would any day rather have someone who's a great person that has maybe less skills and abilities than someone who's toxic and, you know, is really good in certain areas. How did you, um, out of curiosity, because we, we have this question come up quite a bit on the, the trusting of somebody and how you learn that, that character thing. Is it something where for you to hone that, you give the ability to that person to be in a position to screw you over or to trust them where they, they will stumble sooner than later and you know quickly, or is it something you wait to see how that develops? You know, it's, there's six and one half done the other, which is the best way? Do you do it right away so you know? And so you get hit, hurt a little bit versus, or do you let them go all the way? And then you're like, ah, oh, son of a biscuit. Uh, I, I think to start any entrepreneurial endeavor, you've got to have an abundance of trust um, simply because to do what you want to do, you have to be more than yourself. 
And if you don't trust people enough, you're going to hoard too much of the responsibility and not empower others that truly, you know, advance the company. Um, so I think you have to have almost an unreasonable amount of trust when you're starting out so that people can do the things you need them to do. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I can fail and can learn in the same way that, you know, you did. Um, I, I think also that as you become more mature as a business, uh, you have to trust a little bit less than you do when you're um, more in your infancy stages because you've got more stakeholders, you have more at risk. There's more people that you're accountable to, um, you know, and also you built systems and processes that are keeping the organization going in a direction that, you know, um, you can trust in that regard. So I think trust, you know, the, if we could trust everyone, you know, in the world to do everything that was right, we would be so much more efficient <laughs> as humans and get so much more done because yep. we end up putting so many safeguards and things that um, block productivity to accommodate for the bad actors out there. Um, and it's necessary, right? You, you know, a certain size and when you have enough at risk, like you just can't be stupid. Um, but, you know, switching from, you know, that, you know, kind of blind trust almost to a bit more of a measured level of trust to me is indicative of, you know, going from, you know, the founder hat to the CEO hat. It's like, what made you successful as a founder is not going to make you successful as a CEO. Um, and I've learned that the hard way by, you know, just being super disruptive and trying to break things, you know, just because that's my nature, you know, and innovating and trying to do all these things that, you know, you, you can do and probably should do when you're small and trying to really find that product market fit. But when you're uh, a more mature company, you end up uh, being more disruptive than is helpful. So you've got to be very surgical about where you decide to disrupt uh, the organization. Yeah, it's funny. We, everybody wants to deal in the fantasy world, but it's the real world we have to live in. And so even though we'd like it to be a certain way, it is what it is. And we got to navigate that the best we can. And Wow, you're a fantastic guest, Chase. We really appreciate you being on the show. Do you got a, a plug you want to throw in there on what you do? Yeah, so, I mean, if you're interested, uh, follow the Dark Horse journey. Um, LinkedIn is where I live from a social media standpoint. Um, and if you are in the accounting space or considering the accounting space, uh, you can go to abetterway.cpa and learn what we do for accountants, uh, who, again, are our main customer. Um, and then darkhorse.cpa is our, our, our end consumer facing website for our clients. So, well, thank you very much. I know you're not on Facebook because you've posted nothing since 13. So <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I think you were way young back then. But no, we really appreciate you being on the show. And I hope our audience hit, got some great nuggets out of this. And uh, yeah, there's just a lot of good stuff here. So I really appreciate it. And uh, another uh, great podcast. I'm Glenn Harper. And Julie Smith. At Harper & Company CPA Plus, we just don't care about the numbers. We care about helping you tap into the greatness of your entrepreneurial journey. You deserve a partner who has helped hundreds of businesses go from paying the bills to building the business and lifestyle of their dreams. Go to our website and download our free guide entitled Entrepreneurial Success Formula, How to Avoid Managing Your Business from Your Bank Account. The link is in this episode's show notes.